If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. First John chapter two, uh, right toward the end of the New Testament. First John, like uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we talked about that we're going to spend a number of weeks just kind of working through the letters of first, second, and third John, and we'll find ourselves in the second chapter of first John tonight. As we turn there, either in your hard, hard, hard copy Bible or on your mobile device, I um, want to invite you to think about the concept of a warning light in your car, okay? And so these little warning lights, we'll show a photo here. Um, so we can just start to get our head around it. Boom. Um, These little warning lights in your car pop on from time to time. In fact, I just want to do a poll of the room, all right? I want you to think about your car. If you drove it here tonight or if you've been driving it around, poll of the room, it's honesty, it's church time, okay? Who here, by show of hands, has a light on in their car right now? Okay, all across the room. Wow, that is more than I thought. I thought we'd have a few. We have a lot. Now, here's what you know. Those of you with lights on in your car, What you know is that when an indicator, a warning light comes on, it means you need to do something about it. And some of you are like my wife. Okay, when something happens in my wife's world and a little warning light comes on, it's like, I got to fix it now. She goes like, let's get to the car. Let's get to the mechanic right now. She's like a fix it right now type of person. And some of you are like that. Some of you in life, like the warning light comes on, it's like, I'll get to it. But then others of you are like me. I like to fix it when warning lights come on. My favorite day to fix it is someday, another day, when I have a little more money, when I have a little more time. Someday I'll get to that. And my fear is with how many hands I saw in the room that there are a lot of someday I'll fix it type people in this room. Uh, A lot of someday I'll get to this little issue that's popped up on this warning light here. But here's what you know, and here's what I know about warning lights. You bring the car into the mechanic after months of a light being on and your mechanic isn't fooled when you say, I think like last week it came on or something like that. Like they know, right? Because the warning light is about some little thing that's going on in your life. And yet when you don't deal with that, that little thing becomes a big thing. Let me put it to you this way. That when you ignore warning lights, the damage spreads and the cost increases, right? Like if you had gotten it dealt with right away, It would have just been this little part in your car, but now you have to replace your whole engine. It was this little thing, but now it's this massive thing. It was gonna be a minor cost, and now it's a major cost. And here's what I want you to know, that all throughout the Bible, there are these little warning lights that the Bible, the authors of the Bible want you to be aware of. There are these little indicator lights that are on in your life. And the wise, prudent thing, when you start to sense that there's something wrong in your spiritual life, something wrong in your heart and wrong in your life, is to deal with it like my wife does right away. Like right away, get to the source and deal with it. But here's what far too many Christians do. And here's what I'm concerned that some of you do when it comes to things in your spiritual life. You ignore it. And because you ignore those things in your life, the damage spreads and the cost to your soul and your life, and your relationships, and your future increases. See, tonight as we look at 1 John chapter 2, here's what I think we're going to see. We're going to see three warning lights. Three warning lights that the follower of Jesus cannot afford to ignore. Tonight we're going to see three things that John wants us to know that if this shows up in your life, you should take it serious right away. Don't delay. Fix it right away. That's what John is going to want for you tonight. Three things. And I hope you see this clearly in 1 John chapter 2. But more importantly than that, my hope for every single one of you in this room tonight is that if you start to sense a warning light going off tonight, 
if words are coming out of my mouth and you start to sense something going on in your heart, please, for the love of God, do not ignore it. Do not ignore that thing going on in your heart. See, sometimes when I give messages like this, it's it's tempting to think of these messages as a message that someone else really needs to hear. Like you're thinking, I need to send this message to my cousin or to my friend or to my mom. And I just want to plead with everyone in the room tonight, everyone listening online, that this message tonight is for you. And if there's something in your heart that's stirring up, if there's something in your heart that just starts to go, wait, 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 that might be me. Like that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. And don't ignore what the Spirit has to say tonight. So again, three warning lights I want you to see. First John chapter two, we're gonna start in verse three. Here's how it begins. It says, we know, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Now I want to point to you to a verse. Can we go back one slide, please? I want to show this verse right here in verse four. It's going to say this, whoever says I know him, like in other words, whoever says I'm a Christian, I go to church, I know Jesus. I could tell you all the gospels. I could tell you Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. I could tell you facts about Jesus. Maybe you even know information about theology. Maybe you know the worship songs and can sing them with your eyes closed. You look Christian, you talk Christian. There's the type of person who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. It says there's a type of person who's a liar and the truth is not in that person. Like this is a warning light that all of us need to be aware of tonight. Like, can I put it this way? That the Bible assumes there will be unsaved people who call themselves Christians. And what I want to do from time to time is get up in front of anyone I can speak to and try to ask the question of whether or not you're actually saved. I'm not asking, do you come to church? Obviously you do, you're here. I'm not asking, do you know Bible information? I'm not asking, do you know things about Christian faith? And listen, I'm not asking, are you a generally good moral person? I'm asking you, do you actually know God? Do you actually love him, have faith in him, treasure him, know him personally, not just know things about him? And the terrifying thing for for every pastor is this, that there are people who show up to church, get into small groups, do all the Christian things that people do in the Christian world, and yet there is no love for God in them. There is no obedience to the commands of God. And if I look at your life, and there's nothing about it that says you have submitted yourself to obedience to Christ. I have some deep concerns about whether or not you actually know God. Because here's what the New Testament, here's what the book of First John assumes. There are going to be some people who say they know God, who say they love him, say they follow him, say they know Jesus, but the truth of God is not actually in them. They are liars. And what it means is you've even deceived yourself. Here's the first warning light I want some of you to heed tonight. Warning light number one is that you have no desire to walk in obedience to the commands of God when they cost you something. This is the first warning light I want you to be aware of, that there are some of you perhaps that you have no desire to walk in obedience to the commands of God when it costs you something. Two parts of this sentence I want to point out to you. The first is the word desire. I want to be abundantly clear The first chapter of 1 John makes it clear that he writes this letter so that you will not sin. But then if you know the text, it says, but if you do sin, we have this advocate. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the propitiation, the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. In other words, 
There is no teaching in the Bible that says if you sin, it's evidence that you're not saved, okay? I just want to be real clear. Because there are some of you who walk in here with a past or you walk in here with addictions or you walk in here with that one sin you just can't seem to stop doing. You want to stop doing it. You have the desire, but you keep stumbling in it. And I want you to know that if your desire is for obedience, your desire is for holiness, your desire is to say yes to God, but you fail, that is not evidence that you're unsaved. Every single one of us is going to fail. Every single one of us is going to fall short of God's glory. You know what my concern is for? It's for anyone listening to my voice tonight online or anyone in this room who has no desire to actually walk in obedience to Christ, who shows up to church, you feel like you're a good person, but when you see commands in the Bible, your desire isn't, I wanna walk in obedience to that, even if it's imperfectly. So my first concern is for people who have no desire, but now let me show you the second part, to walk in obedience to the commands of God, and then this is the part I wanna point out, when they cost you something, when they cost you something, So here's my concern. I think it's actually on some level easy to obey some commands of God in our world today. There are certain commands of God that just generally fall under like be a good person. Like I'm just guessing, okay, I don't know everyone's story, but I'm guessing no one in here like deeply struggles with not murdering people, okay? You're just like, oh man, I just want, like, no, like that's not really a struggle. And I know what Jesus says about anger in your heart, but I mean like you've not ever actually off someone, right? That's not a struggle for you. And there's people in here like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice, I'm compassionate. I try not to judge people. I'm like a good person. And so you feel like you're walking in commands to the obedience and obedience to scripture because you feel like a good person. But the real question is this. Will you walk in obedience to the commands of scripture when it costs you something? When it's difficult? When it makes you look weird in our culture? When you stand out? When something pushes you? When the scriptures command you to do something that actually makes you feel difficult? Well, like, do you know that the Bible actually calls you to forgive people who have wounded you? There's nothing easy about that. Because when someone wounds me, I want to wound them back. When someone betrays me, I want to betray them. When someone lets me down, I want to let them down. And yet evidence that God is supernaturally working in me is that someone wounds me and my desire is to forgive them rather than to destroy them. That's what obedience to the commands of scripture looks like. This desire to obey, even when it's difficult, even when subjects like forgiveness, even what the Bible has to say about sexuality and purity. Listen, even when the Bible talks about generosity and giving money to the poor, like when it costs you something, when it's difficult, when you actually hit this point where you go, I don't want to obey but Jesus is in charge, and so I will. That's what I'm looking for in all of our lives. That's the evidence that Jesus Christ is actually Lord. See, we talk about this, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved is to call upon Jesus, not just as God, but as kurios, as king, as master, the one who's in charge of our life. See, ultimately what John is looking for here is a sense of who has the authority in your life. And I want you to know that no matter who you are, whether you are a Christian or not, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or just a short little time, I want you to know you've only got two options for your highest and greatest authority. The first option, and this is the one countless millions of people go with, is this one. It's myself as the highest authority. You say this, I don't understand or like this command in the scripture, therefore I will not obey. And countless people do this. They just roll through the Bible and see something that makes them uncomfortable, that makes them feel like it's going to cost them something, that makes them feel like they have to sacrifice. They see something and it just makes them tighten up and they go, I don't understand it. 
I don't agree with it. I don't like it. So I'm not going to do it. And here's what you're ultimately saying. If I see something in the Bible that I don't like, I'm the highest authority. So I'm not going to do it. Now, no one would ever say that. If you call yourself a Christian, you never say that. And yet this is what we do. We look through the Bible and if there's something God says that we don't like, we're like, thanks so much, God, for your opinion and input. I'll take that into note, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And you become the highest authority. You know what it looks like when God is your highest authority? Here's what it looks like. I don't understand or like this command. Do you know that as a Christian, there can be times where you go, I don't like this. I don't dig this. This is hard. I don't care for this. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But if God said it, then it is for my joy. It is for my good. And so I will obey. I dare you to live this way. I dare you to live this way where you look to the Bible and say, if God said to do it, I'm going to do it, even if I don't understand it. And I dare you to find out what happens when you trust God like that. Actually trusting God means saying, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to do it because I believe it's for my joy and I trust you anyway. And can I just tell you how many times in my life this has played out? Like all through my life when I've just not wanted to give and not wanted to be generous. And yet the Bible calls me to this like radical generosity. And so I give away money. I played this wild game with God where I give away money and see what he'll do. And he's always, always, always blessed me for it. It is better to bless. It is better, sorry, to give than to receive. Throughout my life, I've had people who have wounded me, who have hurt me, who have betrayed me, who have let me down and have wanted to destroy them and hurt them and get back at them. And yet the Bible says to forgive. And I don't want to forgive. I don't understand forgiveness. I don't always like forgiveness. And yet I've learned that it is for my joy. I've shared with many of you over the course of the last year, back in January, that a couple of years ago, I started seeing in the Bible, there were all these commands and patterns of the people of God to fast, to like go without food for a day or so. And I thought like, I don't understand that. And I don't like that because I really, really, really like tacos. And yet, if God said it, it's for my joy. And so I'll obey. And God's just brought me on this amazing journey. Like, listen, my concern for all of us is that we would walk in obedience to the commands of God, not just when it's easy, not just when it fits our grid, but even when it makes us deeply uncomfortable. It goes on this way in verse five. It says this, this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You know what the New Testament assumes is going to be true about you? What the book of 1 John assumes is going to be true about you? What Jesus assumes is going to be true about you? If you know and love and serve and follow and trust and worship Jesus, it assumes that your life, that you will resemble Jesus. It assumes that people will see you and somehow go, that person kind of seems like Jesus, even if they don't really know who Jesus is. And yet here's the warning for all of us. Like it says, this is how we know we're in him. Like you want to know how you know you're saved? You want to know how you know that you really have the spirit of God living in you? You want to know how you really know that you're right with God? You how you really know that that is playing out in your life? It's not that this earns you your way to salvation. It's just the fruit that we see from it. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. Like here's the second warning I just want to lay before some of you tonight. My warning would be this, that your life does not reflect the patterns and practices of Jesus. But like, I just want you to look at your life from time to time and go, does my life look like Jesus's life? Now, now there's going to be something like obvious things you're not going to do, right? 
Like your job is not get on a plane, fly out to Israel and like rally 12 dudes to follow you around, okay? Your job is not to do all of the particulars of Jesus's life, to be like this itinerant preacher in the middle of Israel. That's not what we mean. What we mean is that your life and what we see in your life would reflect the patterns and the practices of Jesus. Let me spell this out for you. The patterns of Jesus, here are just a few of the hundreds we could find in the gospels. You pay attention to people's needs. But like, do you notice that in you? That like when you see people and you notice people, people aren't an obstacle to Jesus and he runs into people and he doesn't think like, how can I get around this person to get to where I'm really going? No, Jesus pays attention to people's needs. He speaks the uncomfortable truth. There's all sorts of moments in the Bible where Jesus saying nothing would have made it way less awkward. But he decides to say the uncomfortable truth in a situation. And in the same way, he demonstrates messy grace. There's all kinds of moments in the Bible where, God, where Jesus is just kind of dealing with someone who's kind of like uncomfortable on the fringes of society, sinful, wicked, somehow has fallen short and made a mess of their life. And he demonstrates grace to them anyway. Listen, Jesus cares for the poor and for the vulnerable. Like that's a question to ask in my life. Like not, should I care for the poor or vulnerable? The answer is yes. Like in what way am I doing that? Like Jesus walked in holiness, a perfect sinless life where he forsakes, he forsakes sin and he chooses holiness, he chooses righteousness. Finally, he lives humbly and sacrificially. But like, I actually just think like, again, we could list all of the different patterns of Jesus, all of the different ways Jesus lived. But can I just point out this? Like this list right here, like if you just look at this, looks nothing like 21st century American culture, right? Like this is not the general culture you live and walk in in your places of work and on your college campuses and in popular culture. Like popular culture says people are an obstacle. Try to get them out of your way. If it's uncomfortable, don't say anything because the worst thing you can do is make things awkward. Don't give any grace to anyone who disagrees with you ever. Instead, eviscerate and destroy them. Ignore the poor and vulnerable or better yet, use them as a token in your political game. Don't walk in holiness because that's old-fashioned and silly. And don't live humbly. Show off. Show off how rich you are. And don't live sacrificially. Just get what's yours. Like in other words, one of the ways to ask, are you following the patterns of Jesus in this world is to ask this question. Do you fit nicely within 21st century American culture? Because if you do, I'm concerned for you. If you fit like nicely into 21st century American culture and everything in your life just seems to match that of your neighbors and your friends and the people on your campus and the people in your work and you look no different and your patterns don't look any different than their patterns, I'm afraid that you have been discipled by the culture rather than being discipled by Jesus. Like this is the patterns of Jesus. And how do we get discipled by Jesus? The practices of Jesus. Let me show you just some of them. A prayer and study of scripture and fasting and worship and silence and solitude and rest, and community. So what do we ultimately want to be? We want to be a people that recognize these patterns in our life. And again, it's not that you're going to be perfect at praying or always study scripture every day for an hour, or you're going to fast and be perfect at it. It's not that perfection is what we're after. But it's like, does your life reflect any of these things at all? Like silence and solitude. Can I just pick on that? Like if you're just kind of in this place where it's never quiet and there's always music and always a podcast and always something on and you never just sit and take a breath and stand in line in the grocery store without immediately pulling out your phone like it's in your holster. I just think there's something about your life that's not looking like Jesus. 
That should be an indicator light in your life that there's never silence and solitude. Rest, like if you're into like the hustle culture where it's like work 16 hour days because you can sleep when you're dead, that doesn't even make sense, okay? And yet some of you have bought into this hustle thing where it's like, I gotta make money, I gotta be going, I've gotta be constantly producing and working and your life never reflects the kind of rest we see in Jesus. Community, like some of you roll in here to Thursday nights and yet no one actually knows you. No one actually knows your struggles. No one knows your insecurities. No one knows your sin. No one knows what's actually going on in your life. There's no actual people who know you. You've just kind of got people around you. Like again, if you want to live like Jesus lived, you've got to follow his patterns and follow his practices. And here at Calvary, we have just like a simple phrase you hear all the time. You've already heard it tonight to describe this. What does it look like to live in the patterns and practices of Jesus? We describe it this way, to live and love like Jesus. That's what we want for your life. We want you to live like Jesus lived. We want you to follow his patterns and follow his practices. We want you to love like Jesus loved, to love the kind of people that Jesus loved, to show the love of God like Jesus showed. Like that's what we want you to do. So ultimately my question tonight is this, does your life reflect the patterns and practices of Jesus? And for some of you, you know the answer to that. You think of stories of Jesus that you know, and you go, okay, do I look anything like that? Am I being formed into the image of Jesus? But then my concern maybe for some of you is this. You have no idea whether or not you're living and loving like Jesus. And the reason you have no idea whether you're living and loving like Jesus is you have no idea how Jesus lived and loved. You have no idea. In fact, I'll put it this way. You will never know what living and loving like Jesus looks like if you don't read the Gospels. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these four stories of Jesus' life. And if you've never read the Gospels, if you've never sat down and go, okay, what did Jesus live like? How did he love? You'll never actually know whether you're living like Jesus. See, 1 John 2, 5 says this, this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And if you wanna live like Jesus did, you will never know what that looks like. You will never know what that looks like unless you read your Bible, unless you open your Bible and read and understand what Jesus's life actually looked like. So that's the second warning light for some of you. Does my life look like Jesus? Do the patterns and practices and rhythms of my life look like the way Jesus built his life? Or does it look just like 21st century culture in America with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top? Here's the last one I want to look at tonight. Chapter two, verse seven says, dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This commandment is the message you have heard, yet I am writing a new commandment. Its truth can be seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So so one of the great burdens for the New Testament is for you to understand that there is actually something God has done in this world to create a new family. You'll notice one of the languages that the New Testament uses is this language of brother and sister. This isn't random. 
And this isn't like the colloquial, like we're all brothers and sisters. We're all one big happy family. Let me be clear. God calls us to love every single human being who has ever lived, whether they are believers in Jesus or not. And yet God is going to give a specific designation for those of us who have trusted Jesus. And that specific designation, that specific burden is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, where Jesus is our big brother and God is our father. And how does that family get formed? That family gets formed by the cross of Jesus, where his blood forms a new bloodline that all of us, that makes all of us family. So that you come from your bloodline of your family and your family and your family. And yet all of those get superseded by this new family that Jesus is pulling together. That's what Jesus died to create. A new family where we look at one another, not just as friends or acquaintances or people we know at church, but as brothers and sisters. And I actually love that metaphor because I know not, this isn't true for all of you, um, but like I have brothers, okay? And I, no sisters, okay? But if you have brothers and sisters, you kind of get what this is like. There is a different way you love brothers and sisters than you love friends, right? Like some of you know this really well, like your friends you chose presumably, okay? Like you decided I wanna be friends with you and not you, you got to choose them. But except in super rare circumstances, like you really get no opportunity to choose your family of origin, right? Like there's no choice, there's no decision, you're just kind of stuck with them. So there's this different kind of way you love them. Like it's different, best friends are different than brothers and sisters, right? Best friends operate different than brothers and sisters. Like your brother or your sister drives you crazy sometimes, right? You are so annoyed with them, so frustrated with them. And yet if anyone else ever picked on them, you would drop an atom bomb on that person, right? Because only you get to pick on your siblings. And this is what the New Testament wants us to have. This sort of like, yeah, listen, um, my brothers are not all my best friends, okay? And yet I love them more than anything. Like my brothers and I, we disagree on all, I have three brothers, we disagree on everything, okay? We fight and yell at each other and have all sorts of disagreements and tensions and we don't see eye to eye and everything. But if anyone ever messed with my brothers, they'd have to mess with me, why? Because we treat brothers and sisters differently than we treat our friends. And here's what we hope. We hope that you would start to see everyone in this room, not as just an acquaintance or some person who goes to your church, but as a brother or sister in Christ as someone Jesus died to bring into the family with you. And that you would not only see the people in this room this way, but that you would see all people throughout all of history who called on the name of the Lord, not as some random other Christian or demographic in this world, but as your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And then here's the burden of this text. If it is true that they are your brothers and sisters, God, the father, the father over our family has a burden. And that burden is this, that you would not hate your brother and sister. Go go back one, go back one. That you would not hate your brother and sister. that That if you do, it is because you walk in the darkness. It says anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Like in other words, the great burden of this text It's not just that you would see each other as brothers and sisters, not just that I would see you as a brother and as a sister, but that I would not hate you because when I hate you, that is an indicator light, a warning light that I am wandering around in the darkness. And why do I wander around the darkness? Why do I hate it? It says they do not know where they are going. And that says, because the darkness has blinded them. And here's what I want you to know. When you hate someone, When you hate a brother or sister in Christ, 
You hate them because you are blinded by the darkness. Like, here's what happened. So a couple years ago, um, I was the high school pastor here at this church. Uh, and our ministry was going and things I thought were going pretty well. And then suddenly there was a pastor from another church in the community who just started saying terrible things about me. Like there were criticisms of me that it's like, hey, fair enough. I talk too fast. Sometimes I'm loud. I get that. But then there were criticisms coming in like, this person doesn't even believe in Jesus. I was like, excuse me, I do. And then it started to get more vicious. It was ratcheting up. The criticism coming in from this person and the people they influenced was just brutal toward me. And so my first response, I just gotta be honest, was not forgiveness and love and long suffering, but anger and bitterness and resentment. I started to view this individual and I was so angry with what they said. And so I started to view them, don't miss this, not as a human being blood bought by Jesus on the cross, but as a sum total of their criticism of me. That this person was simply the person who was sinning against me and nothing else. And here's what happened. When I began to narrow in on this person just as their sinful, angry self, I became blinded to who they actually were. I became blinded. And because of that, because I was blinded, I was walking in the darkness. It had blinded me. So this is what happens. When we start to hate someone, we stop seeing them as someone created in God's image, blood bought by Jesus on the cross. And we start to become blinded to who they are because all we can see is their sin against us. Listen, I want to be really clear. This text does not say anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness, unless, of course, you have a good reason to hate them. Let me just let that sit with someone here. Some of you think it's okay to hate Christians or other Christians or someone in this world because you have a good reason to hate them. And I want you to know that there's no little asterisks here where you turn to the back of the Bible and it goes, except if they broke up with you, right? That's not a thing in the Bible. It's not a thing that if I hate a brother or sister, it is because the darkness has blinded me. And here's the third and final warning light, the indicator light that I want to go off in your life. I want there to be a little light that goes off on your dash anytime you have hate, resentment, and contempt for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what I want for you. I want a little indicator light to go off anytime there is a Christian. I don't just mean anyone in the world. I mean another Christian, a brother and sister in Christ, a follower of Jesus, and you hate them. You have contempt for them. You have resentment or anger toward them. I want that to be an indicator light that something's wrong in your heart, not just in theirs. I want to ask you tonight seven questions. And listen, you don't owe me an answer to these questions. You definitely owe yourself an answer. You owe God an answer. And tonight I want to plead with you to consider these questions. And if one of them hits you sideways and you realize that you actually hate or resent or are bitter or are angry or are rageful towards some other Christian, I want that to be a light that goes off in your heart. Seven questions. Here's the first. Do you have unresolved bitterness or anger with anyone in this church? Do you have unresolved bitterness or anger with anyone in this church? someone who used to be your friend but isn't your friend anymore, with an ex-boyfriend, with an ex-girlfriend? Do you have unresolved bitterness with someone you used to be in a small group with and now there's been a falling out? With someone you used to be tight with but then they started walking into sin and so you started judging them and looking down on them? If you have unresolved bitterness and anger and rage and hate for someone in this church, that should be an indicator light. If there's anyone in this building that when you walk in, you just go, I hate that person and you try to walk away, that should be a warning light going off on the dashboard of your life. Look, listen, let me ask you another question. 
Do you have contempt for Christians who vote Republican? My concern for some of you is that you learn that there's some person who's a Christian and they voted for Trump. And so somehow you just have contempt and anger and hatred. And there's this knee jerk hate for them. And that's a problem that should send off warning lights on the dashboard of your heart and of your life and of your soul. If you hate someone because they voted for a party that you don't support, that should show you that something's wrong. Let me ask it the other way. Do you have contempt for Christians who vote Democrat? Do you hate them and look down on them because how could they support the party that supports this or that or the other thing? Do you have hate for Christians who vote Democrat? Because listen, I want to be really clear with you. What the scriptures say is that anyone who hates their brother and sister walks in darkness. And it doesn't say unless they vote for the political party that's different than yours. Hear me on this. If you have hate for Christians who vote for a different party than you vote for, the problem is not inside of them. The problem is inside of you. And that is something to confront in your life. That is something to be aware of in your life. The culture wants to tell you to hate someone because they voted differently than you. And in the Christian church, that should never be so. Never let that happen. Next question, number four, are you dismissive or condescending to Christians who know less theology than you? Some of you have grown up in church and you know theology and you know the Bible. You're the whiz kid who reads all the books and knows all the things. And then someone asks a question in small group or standing around has some idea and they're clearly wrong and you're just disgusted with them. You look down on them. You have contempt and anger that they could even call themselves a Christian and not know what transubstantiation is. You're so overwhelmed that people aren't as smart as you. And I want you to know if that's going on in your life, there should be an indicator life going off. That just because this person doesn't know as much as I know, there's no grounds for me to hate that kind of person. Here's the next question. Are you resentful toward Christians who seem to have it easier than you? Like, do you look at certain Christians and see their access or their privilege or their life or their wealth or their family or their history or their past or their trajectory and you see it and you just think they've got it so easy, they don't even know, I've struggled, I've suffered, and you just get resentful and angry and jealous and bitter toward them. Like, listen, the Bible does not say if you hate a brother or sister, you walk in darkness unless they have it easier than you do, in which case that's fine. Never let that creep into your heart. If that's happening and you see some other Christian and they seem to have everything going for them and you don't, to allow bitterness and jealousy to take root in your heart will destroy you. Next to last question, do you roll your eyes and dismiss the opinions of older saints? Do you mock and belittle people who are older than you who have something to say about the faith? Do you dismiss the input of the faith about your, from your parents? Like they have something to say, but you're like, mom, dad, you don't understand what it's like to be a young Christian these days and you should just dismiss it. Do you mock and belittle Christians who post sincere, if kind of cheesy things on Facebook and you just kind of dismiss them as these silly out of touch people? Like if your temptation is to mock and belittle and look down on hate and despise every Christian who's over the age of 40, there should be a little indicator light going off on the dashboard of your heart saying something's not wrong with them, something's wrong inside of me. And then finally, can I just ask this? Do you wish for the destruction of any other church? Like, do you look around and see other churches and how they act or how they behave and just think things like, I want them to go away, I want them to implode, I hate them, I don't care for them, I don't like them, I don't want them. Because if you do, it's not that something's just wrong with that church, it's that something's wrong inside of you. Like, listen to me, all throughout the pandemic, 
Over the last year and a half, when it comes to politics, when it comes to social unrest, when it comes to racial justice issues, when it comes to COVID and restrictions and government, churches have taken all sorts of different tacks. And it's been so tempting for me to hate other churches who do things differently than we do. But every time I start to hate another church, that should be a warning light in my life, in my heart, that something's wrong with me. Like, it's not that we can't disagree. It's that anytime that goes to hate and contempt, there's a problem. Like, let me put it this way. Some of you have church hurt in your life. Like, some of you have been wounded by a church. Maybe even this church. And so somewhere along the way, you just started hating and despising that church. Or you started hating and despising churches like that. Big churches, small churches, certain denominations of churches, certain kinds of churches. And so you just have hate and contempt in your heart for them. And I want you to know that your wounds are real. And maybe you really did go through something brutal and unthinkable from that church. But anytime that moves into hate, that should just feel like a little warning light that goes into your heart that says, wait, 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 this is not right. This is not good. See, listen, First John is going to tell us that anytime we hate a brother or sister in Christ, we are walking in darkness. There's no if or ands or buts or exceptions, or if you have a good reason, I guess you can go do it. It should send a warning light off in our heart that says, there's something going on inside of me that is drawing me away from the light and into the darkness. So in closing, here's the three warning lights that I suggested tonight. And again, I want you to not think of someone else. I want you to not think of who needs to hear this. I want you to ask, is this light going off on the dashboard of my heart? Here's number one. Warning light number one. You have no desire to walk in obedience to the commands of God when they cost you something. Perhaps that's some of you tonight. Number two is this, that your life does not reflect the patterns and practices of Jesus. Perhaps you're just going, okay, that's me. I actually think my life really doesn't look like Jesus. I'm not walking in his patterns. I'm not really walking in his practices. And then number three is that you have hate, resentment, and contempt for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If any of those lights are going off on the dashboard of your heart, I want you to notice that. I don't want you to dismiss that. Like, listen, here's what I'm going to assume. For some of you, those three things, I've said them, and your actual answer is no to all three of them. Those warning lights aren't going off. And sometimes it's tempting in a sermon like this to think like, oh, I've got to be one of those three. You don't have to be. Some of you, like praise God, are actually not walking in any of this at all. And I don't want you to wear unnecessary weight that you don't need to wear. If you do not have hate in your heart for other Christians, if you are walking in the patterns and practices of Jesus, however imperfectly, and if you do desire to obey, even if you sin sometimes, praise God for you. Praise God for what the Spirit's doing in your life. But if tonight one of those indicator lights is going off, I want to read to you a sentence that you find all throughout the Bible that God warns his people over and over and over again. Here's what he says. He says, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you sense that there's an indicator light going off in your life, it says, do not harden your hearts. Don't blow it off. Don't go to your phone right now. Don't try to get your mind out of it. Don't try to brush away that thought, that feeling, that sense that the spirit of God is doing in you. I want you to respond to that tonight. If there's an indicator light, I want to give you some simple next steps. I want to be really practical here, okay? If an indicator light's going off in your life in one of these three areas, I want to give you some next steps for each of the three. Here's the first one. If if you're struggling to obey the commands of God, number one, I want you to confess to another Christian what command or commands you struggle to obey. When I say confess to another Christian, I mean say out loud verbally and specifically. It won't do for you to say, sometimes I sin. Okay, that's all of us, all right? I want you to say it specifically out loud. The book of James says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. 
Confess to another Christian, say it out loud, say it in a text, say it face-to-face, say it in small groups, say it somewhere. Number two, here's a prayer that some of you might be able to pray this week. Pray this prayer out of Mark chapter nine, verse 24. Someone comes to Jesus. I love this prayer. They say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Some of you need to write that down. Mark chapter nine, verse 24, and pray that every morning this week. God, I believe I wanna trust you, but help me in the places of my life where I don't trust you, where I don't love you, where I don't wanna submit to you. I believe, but help my unbelief. And then finally, number three, humble yourself and ask for help from a pastor, a mentor, or a small group. Listen, all throughout the Bible, this command to humble yourself is an action. It's not like be humble. It's like humble yourself. You know what that looks like? Before you leave tonight, come find Pastor Brian, Pastor Sarah. Come find me out in the lobby and just say, hey, I'm struggling. Here's what I'm struggling with. Confess it, say it out loud, ask for help from a mentor of yours or maybe in small group this week, just say, hey guys, I gotta lead off tonight. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I need help. You humble yourself and you ask for help if that indicator light's going off. Number two, um, if you are struggling to live and love like Jesus, to live like Jesus lived, to love like Jesus loved, here are the three things I recommend to you. Number one, Why don't you read through all four gospels by the end of 2021? Read through all four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you take one chapter a day, you'll be able to do it easily by the end of 2021. If you have never read through all of the gospels, maybe this is something for you to do. Start tonight, Matthew chapter one, read it. Tomorrow, Matthew chapter two, and work your way through the gospels by the end of 2021. Here's number two. You can find some resources for how to live and love like Jesus at calvarywestlake.org slash walk. In our weekend, Saturday and Sunday services, that's what we've been doing for weeks now. We'll do for six more weeks. We're talking about the patterns and practices of Jesus and how you can lean in on those things of prayer and fasting and scripture and worship. Go to this website right on the front of the Calvary website. It'll be a resource for you. And number three, I wanna recommend a book to some of you. If you've never read this book, I recommend it to every believer here. It's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It walks through the spiritual disciplines. That has been a book that has been fruitful in my life since I was a teenager. And I recommend it to someone here. Order it online. It'll be the best $11 you spent this year. And then finally, let me talk to you. If you have hate in your heart for brothers or sisters in Christ, how you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ, how to overcome that. Number one, I want you to sign up to serve and a ministry in Calvary. It's hard to hate people when you're serving them. It's hard to despise people when you're sacrificing and laying down your life for them, praying for them, discipling them, caring for them. Out in the lobby, there's a little table and over at the prayer wall, there are these things. You'll find these sheets. It's a very simple sheet that says sign up to serve and you can say your name, you can give us your information and then where you wanna serve. You can serve on Thursday nights, you can serve with our kids, uh, with our fresh market outreach, with our special abilities ministry. Sign up to serve before you leave tonight. If God's moving in your heart saying you need to love God's people, this is an opportunity for you. That's number one. Number two, that you would pick up a prayer sheet and pray for another church in our community. So here's what we've done over by the prayer wall. We're about to sing. In fact, our band can make their way back up right now. Uh, We're about to go into a time of singing. During that time of singing, over at the prayer wall, you're gonna find cards just like this. And on these cards are listed other churches in our community, in our region that you can pray for. 
And if you found yourself judging, looking down on, having cynicism toward other churches in our community, I want you to pick up these cards, get two or three of them, and just commit to praying for them all week. I'm holding in my hand Atmosphere Church, Lighthouse Church, Godspeak Calvary Chapel, the church at Rocky Peak. There's dozens of churches listed over there. Pick up these churches and pray for them. You know what our great prayer is? Not that Calvary would grow, it's that Jesus would be exalted in all churches, all right? That's our prayer. That's our aim. And so listen to me. Even if you don't have a prayer request tonight, go over to those tables, pick up these cards. We want to love our brothers and sisters in Christ at other churches, not just here at Calvary. Go ahead and pick one of these up. And then finally, I want to give this to you. Uh, Number three is confess and repent and reconcile with someone in this room before you leave tonight. If there is someone in this room who you have some issues with, Before you get in your car tonight, tap them on the shoulder. Say, we need to deal with each other. We need to do some business before the Lord. We need to pray. We need to reconcile. I'm just pleading with someone tonight, not to be scared, not to be overwhelmed, but take a massive step of faith. And say, you know what? We got some business. We got some stuff between us. We've got some history. We've got some past. But Jesus is too important. His blood is too precious. We are brothers and sisters. We've got to stop hating each other, all right? Let's do that tonight. So if you have some reconciliation to do, let that happen. So hear me on this. If your indicator light goes off on the dash of your car, do you know that you don't actually get credit for noticing it? Like again, a bunch of you raised your hand at the beginning. You're like, yep, I got to take it into the shop. You get no credit for that. No bonus points for noticing. You know, the only thing that matters is if you actually take your vehicle and bring it into the shop and get it fixed. When you deal with it, that's how things get better. And I want you to Christian faith, you actually get no bonus points for noticing something's wrong with your soul. You only get to see God move and God work when you actually do something about it. Like you don't get bonus points for feeling convicted tonight. You get God moving in your heart when you walk up to someone before you leave and say, I need to reconcile to you because I've sinned against you. You only get that to start to happen in your life when you start to read the Bible and know how Jesus lived to walk in obedience Like what I want for all of us is not just an awareness of the things that might be wrong in our life. I want us to actually walk out in faith. Faith isn't some mystical sense of something you can't see. Faith isn't just some random feeling about the universe. Faith is the confidence to step out in obedience to God, even when you don't understand why. And I want to plead with you to do exactly that tonight. There might be some indicator lights going off in your life. In fact, here's what I want to do. I wasn't planning on doing this, but could you just close your eyes and bow your heads? all across this room. Um, I just want to ask you this question. Tonight we talked about some indicator lights, um, some things that may be going wrong in your heart. And if you just would say, hey, listen, just one of those might apply to me. You don't have to tell me which one. You don't owe me an answer. But if you would just say, hey, maybe there's something that was said tonight that's kind of showing on the dashboard of my heart that I need to deal with this. Would you just slip up your hand right now? All across this room, there's no fear, no judgment. No condemnation, the cross has removed all that. Okay, if you're raising your hand, I'm just gonna pray for you right now. Not that you would just feel conviction, that that you would step out in faith and walk in obedience to what God has for you tonight. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what God has for you, but I know that when the Holy Spirit says go, we should do it because I know we'll be glad we did. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the men and women in this room who see an indicator light on their dash, who see a warning that's flashing in their face. God, I pray that you would give them the courage, the faith, the wisdom to walk in obedience tonight. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I just pray that we as followers of Jesus 
would live as Jesus lived, would walk in obedience, and would love one another as brothers and sisters deeply. God, help us to be that kind of church in your city, in your time, in your world. In Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.